Today I'm beginning a new sermon series on the New Testament letter of 1 John. It is written by John, who is the disciple of Jesus, who also wrote the Gospel of John and 2nd and 3rd John. And so these three letters were written sometime uh, in the 90s AD, not the 1990s, but the 90s, and probably to churches in the area of the city of Ephesus. That these churches were dealing with a group of people who broke away from the church and formed an alternate group that changed some of the foundational truths of Christianity. Who Jesus was and how should we relate to others. Who Jesus was and how we should relate to others. And so throughout our series, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on distinguishing the true from the false. What Jesus is, what he is not. What we should do and what we should not do. See, John is writing to the faithful and confused Christians, and he's encouraging them to remain in the truth. But how do we know we're in the truth? What is our relationship to God? How do we know what God is when there are so many other different views on this subject? How do we know we are in the right and we haven't fallen into error? How do we know these things? Well, these are some of the things John is getting at very early in his letter here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and that's our sermon passage for the day. So if you'd like, 1 John is near the back of the Bible. It's before 2 and 3 John, uh, and you can find it uh, near the very back after 2 Peter. So I'll be reading 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit inspiring the Apostle John. We thank you for Jesus who appeared to the Apostle John, who called John to be his disciple and commissioned him to be an apostle in the church. We pray that you would enlighten us today, O Spirit, to open our hearts and minds to receive your word, to use me in spite of my own weakness to speak the truth. And anything that's not truth, let it fall dead to the floor. But anything that is truth, may it work in us in your power and mighty ways. And may we glorify you in all things. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we talked about with the kids down here, uh, we need to figure out what kind of God God is. What kind of God do we have? So that's one of our big things I want us to look at today. What kind of God do we have and how do we relate to this kind of God we have? And then finally, what does that have to do with everybody else in the world and everybody else in here? So what kind of God do we have? How do we relate to him? And what does that mean for others? 
See, that's what John is getting at here at the very beginning. It's what kind of God do we have? Do we have a God that is someone we must discover? Or do we have a God who has made himself known to us? So do we have a hidden God or a here I am God? It's been spoiled by the children. It's a here I am God. But see, in the ancient world, this question was a legitimate question. They didn't know. See, many people tried to discover spiritual truth, that many people looked to the stars and to natural phenomena to understand the powers of the world that control the universe. And so they latched onto whatever they saw as powerful. Things like the storms, the sun, the sea, fertility, both in agriculture and in human life. And so ancient cultures personified these forces into gods, crafting them into images that could be worshipped, and more importantly, that they could appease in order to receive blessing and avoid curses. As Jeremiah points out, these gods never spoke, and so what people had to do was interpret the natural signs as hidden messages from the gods. Oh, it rained today. That must mean the gods this. We had a bountiful harvest. They must have liked something we did. They were trying to discover the truth. Eventually, in Greek and Roman times, people began to think that was dumb. And so they started looking to something else. Spiritual truth apart from the natural world. They focused on wisdom, charity, logic, Looking to these philosophical ideas, people searched for truth. We've kind of carried that on a little bit today, that we search for ideals today, ideals that are worthy of our discovery and protection. We look for peace, equality, justice, love, financial security, fame, national pride, or just serenity. They may not be physical gods that we bow down to, yet we live our lives in service to these ideals because we believe deep down they matter more than our own lives. But today we've even taken a different step, that we don't even look to nature, we don't look outside of ourselves at all, we look to ourselves for something to discover. We live for ourselves following three fundamental beliefs that our culture holds dear. These three I've heard uh, Tim Keller explain recently. These are the three foundational beliefs of our culture today. Be true to yourself. Do what makes you happy. And don't tell anyone they're wrong. Be true to yourself. Do what makes you happy. And don't tell anyone they're wrong. And so we try to find what is true to ourselves that makes us happy and we make sure no one tells us we're wrong. And we follow that. And we try to discover what is that and we follow for it. And so instead of trying to please some God outside of ourselves, we please ourselves. Yet all of those things are self-directed seeking. They are adventures. We are the seekers in hide-and-go-seek. We are looking to nature for truth. We are looking to virtue for truth. We are looking to self for truth. We are looking for something. We're trying to find it. And yet John says at the beginning of his letter, what are you looking for? God has made himself known. 
We have a God who has revealed himself. He has made himself known to humanity. And that's why John is writing. See, John was one of a dying breed of eyewitnesses. I said this was written in the 90s AD. Jesus, you know, died and rose again and ascended into heaven in the 30s AD. John was the oldest of the disciples, almost certainly, that everybody else died before he did. And so he's one of the last eyewitnesses of Jesus, and he understands the urgency of testifying to the fact that God made himself known. I was there, I saw it, I heard it, and he wants to pass it on to this group of people that didn't see it, didn't hear it. We're not firsthand eyewitnesses. Here's what John writes. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John is saying, I was there. He's using sensory language, saying, I saw it with my eyes, I heard it with my ears, I touched it with my hands, that God made himself known. The word the English Standard Version here uses is made manifest, which again, that's not really a word we use a lot. The NIV uses appeared. It conveys the idea of a revealing and unveiling that God revealed himself, made himself known to people. And he did so through Jesus. See, John's using a bit of coded language here, calling him life, that Jesus is life himself, something he picks up on later in the letter. That Jesus of Nazareth is the very Son of God in the flesh, the fullness of God incarnate, and that John and many others witnessed this firsthand. And unlike the written scriptures, they could hear the tone of voice that Jesus used. They could see the facial expressions that he used when he met with people. They could overhear his conversations with others and see how he touched and healed other people. They were able to watch God make himself known. And they were able in the end to say in no uncertain terms that they were friends with God. See, through Jesus' miraculous conception, his sinless life, his wise teaching, his powerful healings, and ultimately in his resurrection from the dead, it was clear that this Jesus was no ordinary man. He was God become man, revealing himself to humanity so men and women might know him better. That we have a God who makes himself known, and John is saying, he did this. God has done this. I saw it, and I am testifying to this truth to you. And so having explained what he saw, he's saying why I'm telling you this. Not just because I'm dying and i got to get my story out, but there's something deeper here. He writes in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So that's what John wants to accomplish. That's so that. So that you can have a relationship with this God. I want to tell you this so you can have a relationship with this God I know. See, John knew Jesus personally. 
And John realizes that God revealed himself because God wants to be known. He didn't reveal himself when no one was around and go, good, now I can say I revealed myself, but no one saw me. That's not revealing yourself. You have to actually show yourself to other people. God made himself known so that we could be in relationship to him. So what John is saying is there is a link between revelation, revealing yourself, and relationship. Revelation and relationship. And really, John's telling us how relationships work. That revelation is the key to relationships. So the only way to have relationship with someone else is to reveal yourself to them. To not hide your real self from them, and then they must do the same in return. That relationships are a gradual knowing process where you grow to know one another. And so if you want to have a relationship with your spouse, you have to reveal things about yourself. You have to reveal how your day was, the things you like, the things you don't like, how you're feeling. And then your spouse has to reveal similar things as well. You see, relationship experts talk all about communication, and that is absolutely true. But we are communicating revelation to one another. And we are seeing in communication what they are revealing about themselves. We are communicating revealed information. And John is saying that since we have a revealing God, we can have a relationship with him. And we can do so because of Jesus. That God has revealed himself in Jesus in ways that John has witnessed. That John and other eyewitnesses saw it and they want to pass on. Hey guys, this is what God is like. We met him. So here's how we can relate to him. So John's testimony is hugely important. Because he's telling us what God was like. And it's in that truth of what God is like that we can relate to God for real. The problem is, like John's readers, we weren't there. I know on Good Friday we sing, were you there? And we're like, yes, I was there. But we weren't there. We didn't see Jesus with our eyes as he healed people. We didn't hear Jesus teach with our ears. We didn't reach out and touch Jesus after he rose from the dead to make sure he wasn't a ghost. We didn't have any of those things. That's a hard truth for us to swallow because when we have relationships, we want it to be based on our own personal revelation, what we have learned ourselves. And so we can be tempted to search out for our own personal revelation. That though John is giving us this testimony, we're like, yeah, but could you give me something just special for me? And so we look to nature. And we look in nature and we try and see, is God speaking to me in some way through nature? We look to events in our lives and we try and interpret little messages from God throughout our lives. We pray and search our feelings and we ask for God's guidance and we want him to directly say, Eric, today I think you should do this, 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 and this. That's what we want. We want personal revelation. And yet what John is saying is that he's already done personal revelation. And yeah, I know it wasn't directly to you, and I'm sorry about that. But he still did do it. 
He still revealed himself. And in Scripture, the accounts of Jesus, and throughout all of Scripture, we have the revelation of God. And so, yes, we can learn things about God from nature. Psalm 19 says that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. And yet, if we only look to nature without God's revelation, we can get lost. In Psalm 8, David writes, What is man that you are mindful of him? Essentially, I am such a speck of dust in the universe. Why does God care? Now again, we don't have tone of voice here. Because you can ask that as, I'm just a speck of dust. Why does God even care about me? And if you think about that, apart from Scripture... You can get into a fatalism of we don't matter, we're just specks of dust floating through the universe for eternity and nothing really matters and we just are inconsequential things and life sucks. Or if you take that through scripture and you say, what? What am I that you care about me? I know I'm a speck of dust in this vast universe, but you actually do care about me. Wow. You see, the difference between trying to personalize revelation on its own, but then, but without working it through scripture is very serious. That God has clearly revealed himself and anything else we experience in our lives has to be filtered through scripture or else we become superstitious. No different from the pagans who worshipped the elements. I have a friend, a friend who every time they see a white feather believes it is an angel from God sending her a message. Or a loved one from up in heaven that they have dropped this white feather and wanted to just drop a note saying, I'm watching you. And I just want to say, no! Please don't do that! There's no white feathers in here! Yeah, there's a dove, but like the dove keeps its feathers, okay? What is that? That is our, we, we want something personal. We want God to just be like hanging out and just dropping us little tidbits every step of the way and like giving us stuff. And John is like, yes, it is here. It is in scripture. Use this. I have spoken. And yeah, it doesn't say, dear Eric, dear Bethel Church. But these were real people that were written to. About a real God and real problems that we can identify with and learn from, and that this is for us as well. And so the danger is that we can start interpreting signs in our lives as our own superstitious religion. The same happens when we search our feelings for how God is guiding me. There are many people today who call themselves Christians who say, you know, I prayed and really searched myself, and I feel like God is leading me to do this thing that the Bible calls a sin. Don't do that. See, God won't speak apart from his revelation. He's been very clear what is sin and what is not in here. So he's not going to be all of a sudden dropping some special exemption privileges to you that you're feeling. We cannot trust our feelings. We must bring them under what he has revealed. You see, we all want that personal revelation, that just note from God that tells us everything we ever wanted to know about how to live our lives. And we have the Bible, and that's what it's supposed to be, and yet we want something more personal. And John realizes that, and he's saying it was personal. I was there. 
I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. God came personally and I am testifying to you. Just because it happened a long time ago does not mean that it is less valid. It still counts. That scripture is the revelation of God so we can know about God and about ourselves. And part of the reason we want our own personal revelation is we look to the Bible and there are a few things in there that we're not exactly thrilled about. See, God's revealed information to us in the Bible that sounds concerning. Scripture tells us that God made this beautiful universe. He created humans in his image and we were very good. And then we messed it all up. And we rebelled against God and sin and death and sadness and mourning and disease and Everything awful has entered the world, and it's our fault. And we deserve God's just wrath, because God is a good and just God, and he must punish that which is bad and evil. And we read that, that we can do nothing to make it right on our own. We can never be good enough to make it right. And that, we don't like hearing that. And yet, Scripture tells us more than that. That that is the bad news, but there is also the good news. That God came and didn't say, you have to come get to me. He said, I'm coming to you to say, here I am, and there is a way we can be back in relationship. I'm going to reconcile this thing that is broken through Jesus, that he will die in your place. So I will still uphold justice, and yet you will be shown grace and mercy and forgiveness through Jesus. And guess what? Jesus is going to rise again, which gives us hope of eternal life. So you get to be with me forever unbroken, perfect fellowship with me. That's what scripture has revealed. And we relate to God on the basis of how he has revealed himself. No different from any other relationship. God says, this is how I am. And this is how you are. And here's how we can relate. And it's our job to relate to him according to that revelation. To realize that's how we Relate to God. And that's what John wants for his readers here, is to relate to God according to how God has revealed himself. But that's not all he wants. John doesn't just want his readers to be in fellowship with God. He also wants them to be in fellowship with him and with other believers. In fact, John desires this so deeply that he says it will complete his joy. Here's what he says again. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John's joy depends on those people believing and receiving the truth and being in a relationship to God and with him. As modern people, that makes us a little uncomfortable. You see, we've always been taught that we should keep religion private. We've been taught not to bring it up in conversation. Keep it out of the school, keep it out of the workplace. Just keep it to yourself. We don't talk about that stuff. At least that's what we're told outside of the church. And so in light of that emphasis on keeping religion private, people have said, well, okay, I could do that. And I can individualize my 
religious beliefs. I will just find what is true for me. And so many people today prefer to pick and choose their own beliefs as their own individual private faith instead of looking to a community of shared beliefs. And we understand this. Individual private religion sounds pretty good. After all, do you know how many horrible people are in churches? Yeah, a lot of them. It's kind of awkward we're in a church right now. Um, But I would guess that many of us have been hurt by someone in a church before. I would guess that there's a fair amount of us that have been hurt by someone in this room before or hurt someone in this room before at this church. See, being in fellowship with other people creates problems because it is sinners being in relationship together. And so we would much rather avoid other people and just focus on our relationship with God. Relating to God without relating to others. And so we may still go to church, but we see the other people in church as kind of like pew decorations, like living, breathing sanctuary furniture that we'd rather not like relate to, but they need to be there because it would be really weird if I was here alone singing. You know, that would be really weird. So they're at least decorations. You know, you guys could be the decorations. And that's how we relate to people. But John gives us a different vision. He says his joy depends on the shared fellowship and beliefs he has with others. That in his mind, Christianity requires fellowship with other people. And it's not like John thinks things are going to be perfect. In chapter 2, verse 19 of this letter, he says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. He firsthand knows the kind of drama and problems that can occur in churches, that there was some kind of split in the churches that John was writing to, that some people had separated, dividing the church, dragging people into error and unbiblical practices, that they taught things about Jesus that were contrary to how Jesus revealed himself. And so John was aware church with people is messy. You're going to get hurt. You're probably going to hurt someone else. And yet he says, being in fellowship brings him great joy. Not frustration, though he might have been frustrated, but it brings him joy. See, the answer was not privatizing beliefs and allowing everyone to have their own individual religion. If, as John writes, God revealed himself in order to be known, then we need to relate to God in that way. And we all must relate to God in that way. Because if there is real, revealed truth, there can be no such thing as it's true to me or it's true for me because there either is the true revelation of God or it's wrong. And it's in this truth that John wants his readers to find themselves in. Our New Testament reading, we saw it again in 3 John, verse 4, he writes, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Though John may have had kids, he's almost certainly writing about his spiritual children, the people in the church who were younger than him, who he saw that he was a mentor and a leader to. His joy is connected to their right belief. They're finding themselves in the truth of God. That's what brings him joy. See, we all want joy. 
We all want a happy ending. We all want a complete story that ties together and is very nice at the end. And if you look at these four verses, it's kind of a complete story. It starts with a beginning. John says, that which was from the beginning. And then in verse 4, he says, make my joy complete. That is, make my joy final, the end. That we all want a story that has a happy, joyful ending. But all the other ways of finding and relating to God do not bring us joy. See, the ancient pagans who discovered gods in nature lived in fear of the next natural disaster. They never had assurance that the gods of nature would not send another famine, hurricane, locust plague. They never knew. They lived in constant fear and dread of what nature and the gods might do to them. That is not a life of joy. The virtuous philosophers lived for great principles, but they denied themselves seeing how wicked the world was. And they constantly found themselves yearning to be released from this present fleshly world. There's no joy in that. It's just agonizing waiting until you die. Even our modern people today, like us, who search for self-fulfillment and joy, Their joy is tied up in their own happiness, and happiness is fleeting. And if we are to search ourselves and find joy, then guess what? Everything rests on you. That you better find your own happiness, because if you don't, you despair. You blame yourself, you blame others, but again, that's not a life of joy. John is saying that there is a fairy tale with a happy ending, but it is not fiction It is real. It is possible. And it is only possible through a real God who really revealed himself to us in Jesus. And though we have rebelled against this God in our sin, he did not come to bring death and destruction to us. He came to bring life. And he didn't say, I'm going to hold it up really high and the best of you can jump up and grab it. He said, he came down to us at our lowest sinful level and he offered it to us and said, I have come to give you life the fullness of life and joy. The fullness of life and joy with God. You can have it now and enjoy it forever. It is a free gift to us, though it was costly to Jesus. And so we are to complete John's joy, to complete one another's joy, to complete my joy, to complete all Christians' joy by coming together and walking in the truth of Jesus. And we do so together. And we weep with those who walk away and we rejoice with those who come in and we desire to relate to God and to one another in this joy and life we have in Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, please complete our joy together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing that we have of life that you sent Jesus the very word of life to earth, that you revealed yourself to us. And we pray that you would pull us away from any desires for personalized revelation, but that you would bring us to Scripture to see how much truth we have in there, how much we know about you from there. And Lord, may we walk in the truth and may we rejoice in that truth. 
Be kind and forgiving and loving and correcting to other brothers and sisters in Christ and to enjoy the shared fellowship with God in the truth of Jesus. Amen.